We are glad that you joined us today. Harrison Church is constantly being blessed with its members and volunteers who are devoted to experiencing and sharing the amazing Word of God. If you wish to contribute to his ministry, please visit us online at harrisonchurch.org forward slash donate. Thank you again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. It is always uh, a pleasure and my joy to be able to bring the Word. Um, but today I'm especially uh, grateful because this is a, this is a topic or uh, a scripture passage uh, that I, uh, or a saying, if you will, that I've been wanting to preach on for a really long time. So just as luck would have it or as God would have it, uh, it happened to be my turn on the day that we got to it. So um, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able. We're going to uh, read the scripture lesson that the sermon is based on. It comes to us from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, chapter 10, I'm going to be reading the, the first 13 verses, so follow along with me as we read. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example And they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Long before I, was, uh, before I answered my, uh, the call to pastoral ministry, when I was giving care to people in crisis as a Stephen minister, I began to hear these, these things that people would say in this, in this, this crisis of their life that, that didn't quite sound right to me. Um, situations where there were financial struggle or a broken relationship or even um, the de- death or loss of a loved one. And sometimes it was the person who was suffering that would quote one of these sayings, and, but, but a lot of times it was their friends or family who were trying to care for them. These sayings are most commonly quoted by Christians to other Christians 
like the one that Pastor Shane preached on last week, that everything happens for a reason. If you weren't here and you didn't get a chance to hear it, I would suggest you go back and listen to it on either the podcast or on the website. It's one of those common things that we say all the time and take stock in it. Or that God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that one? Of course you have. And you've probably said it. After I became a pastor, I began to make this list of those things when I would hear them because I knew that they were a problem theologically and that someday they would make a great sermon series. And then last year, lo and behold, Adam Hamilton published a book on the exact same thing. So my, my, the greatest idea I've had since I became a preacher got ripped off by the greatest pastor in the Methodist church. But I'm going to preach it anyway. And I will say, he is not wrong. <laughs> so uh, I highly recommend his book. It's called Half-Truths, The Things the Bible Doesn't Say. It is a, a good and an easy read, and it sort of unpacks some of those things. When Pastor Shane and I were planning the sermon texts and topics for this year, we decided to tuck a couple of those sayings in along with those questions that you guys asked last fall when we asked you to give us some ideas And so we're in week four of that seven-week series where we're going to talk about some of those things. It's it's our attempt at myth-busting, sort of tackling the things the Bible doesn't say, those things that we repeat and often mistakenly believe but aren't actually in the Bible and they don't have a biblical foundation. I distinctly remember the conversation... Uh, in which this particular saying um, ended up on my list. I was, uh, I was caring for a young woman who, uh, whose mother had passed after a long uh, bout with cancer. And during our time together, she said to me, Do you think if I had not been such a strong woman that, that God would not have given me this burden? I said, what what do you mean? She said, well, you know how the Bible says God won't give us more than we can handle. I'm wondering if I was weaker or more fragile that that God would not have taken my mother from me. I hope that you can hear the problem with that. And yet we say it. Maybe it was said to you. Maybe you have heard someone say it to someone that you care for. Maybe you have said it yourself. On the surface, it sounds like a really good thing to say to somebody who is struggling with life or with loss. Now, now, it'll be okay. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And yet, because it's not true, it has the potential to do an incredible amount of damage that lasts a a long time, perhaps even A lifetime. The saying stems from verse 13 of the passage that I just read, where the Apostle Paul writes, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. And if we take it at face value based on that scripture or that version alone, it actually sounds it sounds right. It appears to reflect the statement, God won't give you more than you can bear. 
However, if you have been paying attention, you know that context matters. And we can't take one verse out of a chapter, out of a book, and build a theology around it. As Pastor Shane said last week, we've got to pull the curtain back a little bit more to see the whole context, to understand what's really going on, or we end up making it say something that it doesn't. This phrase appears in Paul's letter to a newly established Christian community in the city of Corinth. Corinth, in response to a letter they wrote to him saying, hey, Paul, we're having some troubles, and and here are the things, and we need you to give us some clarity and some indication as to how we're supposed to deal with this stuff. And so, so that's the basis from which Paul is writing. The community was made up of Jews and Greeks and Romans, and, and they brought into the community their old selves, their, their old habits, their old lifestyles, their, their, own, their old religious practices, and, and it was beginning to create a conflict within the community. They were having trouble leaving their old selves behind. And so it's in Paul's address of moral and ethical challenges that our scripture lesson comes Self-discipline was the foundation of Paul's teaching, self-control. Framing his teaching in Israelite history, he uses their experience of what happened in the desert to say to them, watch out, you just might fall. He points out the evil things that occurred in the, in the desert during the example, during the Exodus, as an example of what not to do. You see, they had been captives before, they had received their freedom before, they had handled it poorly before, and here they are again, right? And what is that saying that says if you don't learn from it, you repeat it, right? And so that's what Paul is saying. He seemed to be saying to them, this is an example of what not to do now that you have this newfound freedom in Christ. And so be careful. The saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, makes little sense in the context of of moral or ethical challenges. But because it hinges on the word tested, I deliberately chose this particular version of the Bible this morning. I looked at some 25 different versions of the Bible, and this is one of very few that actually use the word test. Most of them use the word temptation. Most scholars agree that the original Greek word used in this context is better translated tempt or temptation or tempted rather than testing. So listen to it as I read from the NIV. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So based on this understanding, it doesn't make any sense that we would say to someone who is hurting or suffering or grieving, God won't give you more than you can handle. 
But let's keep going because there's more to it than that. Because the saying is usually quoted in these times of struggle, it implies that God has given the pain and suffering to begin with. That God has given the burden or caused the loss or is somehow responsible for the difficulties of the relationship. The things that we profess to come from God say a lot about what we think about God. The Christian mystic A.W. Tozer would say, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we conceive God to be like in our hearts. What comes into your mind when you think about God? How do you see God? How do you think God sees you? I would suggest that very few of us spend much time really thinking about God sort of pondering what God is like or who God is. We're mostly at a loss for words when we are when faced with these types of questions. Because we don't ponder God, we, we don't have words to express our ideas about God. We, we have no language, no, no God language to communicate with each other our true understanding of who God is and what God is like. But what we think about God matters. It matters greatly. If you're one of those who sees God in nature, in the mountains or the vastness of the skyline or, or the ocean or the planet, the plants, the stars, the sun and the moon then you probably see God as good, right? Creation story tells us that after each step of God's creating, he says it is good. And so if we see God in nature, then we would conclude that God is good. If you receive your very life as a gift from God, the the, the blessing to even wake up in the morning to breathe to be about your business in the world or or your family, your friends, your work, your wealth, your house, those blessings, the material blessings of this life, if you receive those as a gift from God, you may come to the same conclusion. If I were to say to you, God is good, you, some of you, would automatically respond, All the time. It's one of those things we say all the time. God is good. I remember the first blessing we ever taught our kids, and maybe maybe you did too, but God is great. God is good, right? It's solid, simple theology of who God is, the very nature of God's existence. And then we make it complicated after that. To think that God, a good God, would give his children bad things 
for any reason, would go against the very nature of of who God is and who we understand Him to be. The Apostle James, Paul's, um, Jesus' brother, he taught that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of, of heavenly lights who never changes. So the God who created and is good, was good, is still good, and will be good for all of eternity. He doesn't give bad gifts. He only knows how to give good, good gifts. And even Jesus said in his teaching to his disciples, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or, or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, then how much more so the Father in heaven gives good gifts to his children. God is good. And he gives good gifts. And to imply anything to the contrary is against the nature of God. And so it becomes a problem when we say that God has given you this burden to bear and we must stand against it. But now some people use the saying, God won't give me more than I can bear, as as comfort. They somehow interpret it as as saying that that adversity will somehow land just below their ability to cope with it themselves. It provides them comfort. I think that the professionals that care for us would disagree. Psychologists, pastors, caregivers, those people who sit with us in those times of trouble where they help us process our feelings and our emotions around the crisis that's going on in their world. I think in our world, I think they would say, you can't handle it alone. That's why you're here. And so that in itself reveals a little bit about our self-resilience. These people are also gifts from God They are what a friend of ours used to say, Jesus with skin on. Somebody we can hold on to in a difficult time. We live in such a strong culture of independence and pride and self-reliance that people often hide their pain and aren't willing to share their struggles with others. The popular mantras of just deal with it or or suck it up or carry on seem to imply that we are to hold on to it and carry it ourselves. There is a value placed somehow on maintaining the appearance of having it all together. I'm good. I'm good. No, it's not that bad. I can handle it, we say. Self-sufficiency. It seems we would rather suffer alone than risk being embarrassed 
by the truth of our circumstances, even when we didn't cause them. And they're not the result of something that we did or a decision that we made. But somehow, if we let others know, it's, it's embarrassing. And so we'll just hang on to it. This behavior is a total contradiction to what we see in Scripture. God places a high value on our dependence on Him. And, and there is a, as strange as it sounds, there's a, there's a sweetness in the brokenness that causes us to go before the throne and cry out to God for mercy. And it may make no sense, but it is right where we meet God and learn more about God. We come to a new knowledge and a new understanding of God in those moments where we are at the end of ourselves. Moses was prohibited from entering the promised land when he failed to trust God and he took things into his own hands and he tried to solve the problem that was there before him instead of waiting for the Lord to show up. Kings of Israel were always remembered well when they trusted in the Lord. And the prophets challenged the people when they put their trust in anything other than the Lord. Richard Rohr seems to think that the secret to community lies in the way you let people get to you and the way that you move out of yourselves to engage others. We don't have to look very far into the birth story of the church to see what this original community of Christian faith looked like. Listen to this. Listen to the description in Acts. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and to give to one another who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and to get, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. A beautiful picture of community. Not much independence or self-sufficiency. They shared everything including their need for prayer and support. And they worked together to meet each other's physical needs. It hasn't been that long for me to remember what life was like in a small town where community was really, really important. And, and maybe that was your experience growing up as well. That's how we do it in South Alabama. We take care of each other. My, my parents, I saw my dad care for people in need around us. To care for widows. To care for, for young men who had no fathers. I remember him bailing out an 18-year-old out of jail one night after a fight that I happened to witness. I called my dad and said, hey, you have to do something. He never hesitated. He went and he took care of it. This young man didn't have a father. It's what we did. 
It's what we used to do. It's what you used to do. It's what you saw your parents do. But an interesting thing has happened in the last few decades. Since then, family incomes have grown, the middle class has expanded, we moved out into the suburbs, we built houses with garages and door openers that allow us to come and go and never even see our neighbors. Jill and I talk about this all the time. This is so confessional, but we don't know the neighbors on all sides of us whose properties touch us. We've been there 20 years I take responsibility for that, and I'm challenged by it. A 2015 research study revealed that a third of Americans do not know the names of their nearest neighbors and that they rarely, if ever, interact with them. It's no wonder that we don't know what their needs are We've isolated ourselves from one another and disengaged the community around us and we have concentrated on ourselves. We have become in some ways very private, not the Facebook kind of way where you tell everything, but we've become prideful and and, and we don't share what's going on in our own lives. Even in the Christian community, even in this community of faith, we, we often find out things about that are going on in your lives from through gossip and you know chain emails rather than someone sharing that hey we're struggling and we need some help paul wrote in a similar letter to the church in galatia that believers should bear one another's burdens and in this way he would say we will fulfill the law of christ You know, the one that says, love the Lord and your neighbor. When we share one another's burdens, we fulfill that law. He also instructed that whenever we have an opportunity, we should work for the good of all, and especially for those in the family of faith. If we can't do it in the community of faith where we claim the name of Christ and study His words and the, and the Scriptures, we don't stand much of a chance of doing it to total strangers who live near us. I can speak from personal experience of how important it is to have a faithful Christian community come alongside of you when you are in crisis and suffer, suffering loss. We've experienced it. We've experienced it here more times than I can't count. And, and maybe you've experienced it too. We've seen it time and time again. Uh, it's, it's important. In fact, I don't know how you get children from puberty to adulthood without a community of faith. I can't imagine. Because it's hard work. And we're not meant to go it alone. To quote James, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Although there is some truth in the statements, God won't give you more than you can handle. 
It is not in the way that we tend to think or tend to understand it when we say it to our grieving friends. God who is good gives only good gifts. And when life is hard or when life is heavy, you are not meant to handle it, but you are meant to allow the faith community to care for you, to share your burden with you in the season that will soon pass. And then you will in turn do likewise for someone else later. God will care for us and sustain us and send people to comfort us as an act of God's mercy. Let your needs be known. Whether they're spiritual, whether they're physical, whether they're material, whether they're financial, let your needs be known to your community. God has blessed this community with every gift and every resource that we need to care for one another. And your prayer for help or for someone to meet your needs might be the answer to someone else's prayer who is praying, Lord, let me be a blessing to someone else today. Let's pray. Lord, for the gift of community and what it really means that we are not to go it alone. We celebrate and give you thanks. We pray that by your Spirit we would set aside our pride and our independence and our desire for self-sufficiency and that we would receive the blessing and and the mercy that you pour out on us in the lives of other people those who can be Jesus with skin on for us. Lord, I pray especially this day for the Lynette family that this body of Christ would do what you've called us to do as we ourselves grieve and mourn Kathy's passing, but that we can together comfort one another. Lord, help us to recognize all that is good comes from you and that you are a good God and that you have promised you will not hurt us. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at harrisonchurch.org.